0: So I'm going to be reading and sharing on Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. You can find us on page 682 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. So we invite you to follow along. Also on the outlines in the bulletins that were given out when you came in on the back page. There are sermon notes and an outline, and in that outline, it gives the different scripture references I'll be alluding to to help if you want to follow along there. So, Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen Mahar Shalah Hasbaz. And I will call Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jaderkiah, as reliable witnesses for me. Then I went to the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Maharshalah Hasbaz. Before the boy now knows how to say, My father or my mother. The wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Syria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloah and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Ramalia, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel." Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you again for your word. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding through your Holy Spirit. That you would guide us to know and understand your truth. For to know your truth is to know your son, Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus Christ and to trust and love him is to have life and be set free. Father, we pray that you would guide us at this time. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Here we have, in this passage, there's a focus. Again, we have a child, and we have a name. And the name this time is Maher Shalahasbaz, and it has a very interesting translation so this name has a great deal of significance the best translation of this name is they hasten to the spoil they speed to the prey they hasten to the spoil they speed to the prey depicting this this predator looking and having within its vision a vulnerable, weak prey, and pouncing. That's, the, that's what this name is depicting, the power of this. But the good news is, behind this, there is one who is greater. There is one who is sovereign. There is one who is in ultimate control of all things. So no matter how strong any earthly king or any earthly power Appears, there is a God. And this God is all powerful and good and sovereign and right, and we can trust him no matter what. No matter what. So we've been seeing this develop through Isaiah chapter seven and chapter eight, where God is saying to King Ahaz and the people of Judah, trust. In me. This is the constant refrain we're seeing develop in Isaiah. And that's so important because as we've been going from Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1 to now. The main problem with the king and with the people of God is that they kept shifting their focus. They kept placing their trust and hope and security in either the, the ways of this fallen world around us, or in their own fallen sinful desires of their sinful flesh, or even chasing after and following demonically inspired things like the false idols and false religions of the people around them, bringing that idolatry even into the very temple of God. Remember what Ephesians 2 reminds us. That when we are saved in Jesus Christ, when we've been made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, a person goes from death to life. And when you've been made alive by being called by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to have faith, the gift of faith has been given to you and life has been given to you and you breathe for the first time. New life in Jesus Christ. Remember Ephesians 2 remind you. You are then set free from these enemies. The devil and the demonic. You're set free from the ruled and all these fallen ruled systems around us. And you're set free from your most dangerous, deadly enemy. What is our most dangerous, deadly enemy? Our fallen self our fallen self. So finally, we're set free from sin. So as we've been going through Isaiah, chapter 1 through 7, we've been seeing again and again where God has been exposing what it looks like when His people, the people of Judah and the king of Judah, are still in bondage to the devil, to the world, and their fallen, sinful condition. And that, again, is where we see the context for chapter 8. But in chapter 8, again, we see God giving his promise. He's giving his promise. And again, it's through a child. If you look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1 again, we see this promise. Then the Lord said to me, and this is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. The Lord said to me, take a large tablet And write on it in common characters. This is this proclamation, this statement, that God wanted to make sure that everyone who could read could read. And those who could read could read it and then speak it out to those around them. This is God wanting to give a message that would be understood by everyone. So that's what this is meaning write it on common characters to put it up like a billboard. So this is his depiction. This is where God is calling on Isaiah to make very public this proclamation. And what is it? It's this. Belonging to Maher Shala Hasbaz. Again, what this means is they, which is speaking about the Assyrians, Hasten to the spoil, the spoil being Syria and Samaria. Remember, God has already said that Syria and Samaria, that Syria and Israel are going to be defeated. Remember, this was the context of King Ahaz. He was in terror. Remember, it said in 7 that his heart and the heart of his people shook like leaves on trees in a windstorm. And the reason why they were in such terror and fear is because the king of Assyria, I mean the king of of Syria, and the king of Israel joined together and said, we are going to come and destroy you. Take your throne and take your land. And God said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because that is not my will. That is not my plan. That is not how I am bringing about my purpose and my plan for my people. So God earlier in Isaiah 7-3, he gives this first name. And this first name is for the first child we see of Isaiah. So if you look at Isaiah 7, 3, we see the giving of this first promise through a name. So if you go to Isaiah 7, verse 3, it says this, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Joshub." And this name means a remnant shall remain. A remnant shall remain. So it's very important. God is saying that, yes, ultimately, Judah, Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem will be breached. There will be destruction. People will be taken into captivity. But there will be a remnant. A faithful remnant remnant that God will preserve and keep his promises to because God is a covenant making God and God always keeps his covenant. He always keeps his promises according to his will and his purpose and his plan. So that's that first child. A remnant shall remain. A remnant shall remain. And what's so powerful about this is the context of this statement. It's verse 3. Again, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Joshua, to meet Ahaz. And where is Ahaz? At the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. So the context here is King Ahaz is with some of his officials and they are out looking at the springs and the water sources that would feed Jerusalem. And they're trying to understand if that would be enough to preserve their life. If there is a siege and a war came against them, would they have enough water? So they're there investigating and they're looking at this. And the sad reality is, ultimately, Ahaz, in assessing the water, but more significantly, in assessing God's promises, was not willing to trust the waters of Sheolah, the waters provided by God, the waters of the spring that we're going to see in our text depicted as the fountain of life. Ahaz was not willing to trust in God with everything. That's the issue. Ahaz, King Ahaz and the people of Judah were willing to trust God to a point, to a certain limit. They had a clear line drawn to where they would trust God. They would trust God as long as things were going well, as long as things were pleasant, comfortable, as long as things were fairly easy. But when things began to become unpleasant, uncomfortable, difficult, they began to look for solutions elsewhere. Remember the issue was, God calls us to live by faith, not by sight. But the king of... Ahaz and the people were too often living by sight rather than by faith. So again, we see in our text, God gives another promise earlier. God gave a promise through this first son of Isaiah being a remnant shall return. And now in our text, there's another promise. And this promise is that Assyria will come And not only will Assyria destroy Syria and Israel, but ultimately they're going to take captive the people of God, Judah and Jerusalem. So that's why it says they hasten to the spoil, they speed to the prey. Now what's powerful about this is in verse 2 that Isaiah calls on some witnesses. He calls on some witnesses. Can I get a witness? We see Isaiah saying here. And the reason why is this. Isaiah has just made in Isaiah chapter 7 a prophecy. And this prophecy is about this Emmanuel. Now, for those who are familiar with Matthew 2 and the Christmas different hymns or different things around Christmas. We talk about Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Isaiah said that to the virgin will be born Emmanuel. So we have this promise, this promise. But this promise is not going to be fulfilled in that way in the life of Isaiah or the life of King Ahaz. Ultimately, that prophecy is fulfilled at the birth of Jesus Christ. So here we see in Isaiah chapter 8 where Isaiah is saying so that you can trust all these prophecies are from God that I'm speaking for God. I want you to write down that's where it says write down on this on this placard on this sign and put it where everyone can see it. And I want you to go to the two key powerful people in the kingdom to go to Uriah the priest And Zechariah to go to them and have them look at this sign, make note of it, write it down, record this so that when this happens, when Syria and Israel are defeated and then where ultimately you are taken captive and you're taken off to captivity. I want there to be a record so that people will say, oh, yeah. That's just what Isaiah said. Even though we didn't believe him at the time. That's what this is saying. Make a clear record. Show, because God is going to show that what he says, he does. God is always faithful. He's always true, and he will do what he says. So he talks about getting these two reliable witnesses and then in verses three and four, you have again the giving of the name, the name meaning they shall hasten to the spoil, they shall s- speed to the prey. And then verse four, you have a statement. It's parallel to the same thing we saw in verse seven. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, so this is Syria and Israel, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So within the next two years, this is what Isaiah is is making clear. And then you have God again giving an indictment and a warning against the unbelief and unfaithfulness of people of God in verses 5 through 6. Again, in verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again. Because this people have refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, this is verse seven. The Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. And the reason why that is in capital R river and a lot of the English translations is it's speaking about the Euphrates River. That's that's what what's being referenced here. The Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. And that is symbolism for the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over and it will sweep on into Judah. And this is what's so ironic. This is what's so amazing about the disobedience of Ahaz. Ahaz says, well, I've got Syria and I've got Israel and, and they're coming to they're coming for me. They're coming to take my land, take my kingdom, take my crown. What do I do? I've got to put all my faith and hope in the king of Assyria. He will protect me. He'll rescue me. Remember that's what we saw in 2nd Kings 16. This is what King Ahaz did after the king of Syria and King Of Israel threatened him. Verse 7 of 2 Kings 16. So Ahaz sent messengers. To Tiglath. Pileazar king of Assyria. Saying. And here's the three part disobedience. Of King Ahaz. Number one. This is what the king of Jerusalem. The king of Judah. The king who sits. On the throne of David. This is what he says. To the king of Assyria. But just let that, just pause and consider that for a second. This King Ahaz, this is the one who had the law. He had the prophets. He had the history of the covenants. He had the promises of God. These were the people of God who were freed from bondage in Egypt. Ten miraculous plagues. The Red Sea parted. Manna fell from heaven. Even in times of disobedience, during the time of the judges, God would raise up judges, Gideon, Samson, to free them again and again. God said, I am powerful. I am true. I am right. Trust me. So this is King Ahab. And what does King Ahab have to do? Verse 7 of 2 Kings 16. This is what he says to the king of Assyria. Not to God. Not to God. To the king of Assyria. I am your servant and your son. Mm-mm-mm. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of As- from Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. He says to this pagan king worshiping a false god, I am your servant and I am your son. Mm -mm. Number two, Ahaz takes the silver and gold that was in the temple of God and the silver and gold that was in the treasury of the king and gives it to King Ahaz. And if that isn't bad enough, if this isn't enough rebellion and disobedience, Number three, verse 10, when King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet tiglath pileser the king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was in Damascus. Here's this altar to a false god. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar this pagan altar dedicated to a false god in accordance with all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. King, The king of Assyria sees this altar now in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it and burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offering on the altar. This false altar to a false pagan god in the house of God. Verse 14, and the bronze altar that was before the Lord, he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, on the great altar. Now, which one's the great altar? That's the altar of the king of Assyria to the false god. That's the great altar. And this is what he's telling the high priest, Uriah the high priest. On the great altar burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, and the king's burnt offering, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, and their grain offering, and their drink offering, and throw on it, all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. That's everything. That's everything of all significance of the entire sacrificial system for the people of God. And what King has is saying to Uriah the high priest, we're going to ultimately place all the beseeching and crying out for hope and faith and security on a false altar to a false god because it is represented by king Assyria who de facto has become the god of king Ahaz and the people of God but what's so interesting about this is how verse 15 and 16 ends. So some may be asking, well, what happened to the original altar that was dedicated to God, that was made after the pattern of what God wanted for worship of him? What happened to that? Ah, Here's what happened to it. It got pushed to the side, off over to the side, but King Ahaz still had a concern for it. And this was it at the end of verse 15. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did all this as the king Ahaz commanded. So king Ahaz dedicated the entire sacrificial system to this false altar to a false god because he's placed his ultimate hope and security in king Ahaz. Yet that original altar, the true altar to God, he's going to keep that for himself. Just in case. It's always good to have a backup, right? It's always good to have a plan B. No, it's terrible. It's disobedient to have a plan B, even if God is plan A. But when you have a plan B, And God is your plan B? You're off the rails. You're in the ditch. It's over. That's literally the context of Isaiah chapter 8. So that's why he says in verses 6, 7, and 8, so you've went and you've looked at the great Euphrates River, representing King Ahaz, and you've said, ho, 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 what a river. What a big, powerful river. I'm going to put my trust in the king of Assyria. I'm going to put my trust in the Euphrates. It's going to flood you. And it's going to destroy you. That thing that you've put and made your plan A and put your trust and hope in, that isn't me, it will Kill you. This is what God said. Verse 7 again. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. That's the Euphrates. That's the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over and it will sweep on into Judah. Aye, I thought it was just supposed to help us. No. It's going to sweep over you. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And here's the grace. Here's the grace. Here's the gospel found in Isaiah 8. Isn't this amazing? What did Ahaz and the people of God deserve? That the waters, did they deserve that the waters only reached their neck? Uh uh. In their rebellion and disobedience to God, where should the waters be? There. The wages of sin is discomfort. The wages of sin is not your best life. The wages of sin is death. Rebellion against God is death but here's the gospel even in this context of this situation of rebellion verse 8 and it will sweep on into judah and it will overflow and pass on reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land and look how this verse ends oh emmanuel There's the gospel. There's the gospel. Even when the king and his people have been that rebellious, that disobedient, where they have turned away from God, made God, maybe not even plan B, maybe plan C, D, F. He got so pushed in the back. God says, but there still is hope for those who would cry out, "Oh." God. Emmanuel. Remember what O Emmanuel means? God with us. It's the same cry for us to make. Because what Isaiah chapter 8 is making clear, we cannot save ourselves. In our sinful condition, we all have turned away from God. In our sinful, rebellious condition, we have not sought after God. We have not cared or con- had concern for God. All we've done is hate God and rebel against Him and seek to build our own altars and place our faith, hope, and security in our strength or the strength of other humans or in the strength of the world or given ourselves over to the devil and the demonic. And the wages of sin is death. Yet God presents the gospel if you would but cry out, O oh, Eman, you well. God, only you can save me when the waters are to my neck and they keep rising. If you cry out, if you believe in the... Emmanuel. Remember who this is. Oh, Emmanuel. Again, it's it's Matthew chapter 1. She shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23 of Matthew 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, Which means God with us. That's our hope. That's our peace. That's our strength. So that's my prayers for each and every one of us. That God would continue... Giving us eyes to see and, and hearts to, to be filled with His love and grace and, and, and minds to comprehend where where we still have drug into the, into the sanctuaries of our heart and mind, where we have drug in these false altars to false gods, these idols, and where they still exist in our lives in our thoughts and our passions and our desires and we cry out god save us remove these idols remove any plan a or b or c or d where we place our hope and comfort or security in anything of this world of anything of this world why because this world is passing Away. But God is eternal. There's eternal life only found in Jesus Christ. Remember what the devil's plan is. And what's what's so difficult is in the world around us. For a lot of people, the devil looks like the king of Assyria. He looks very good. For a lot of people, the ways of this world look very powerful and good. And they're fallen flesh. They're giving over to it. They're saying, oh, the desire is my fallen flesh. <laughs> the more I give in to that, the more free I am. This is a deception. This is deception. But God makes clear that if we would cry out, oh, save me, Jesus, the Emmanuel, the God with us, It doesn't matter how deep you are and how high the waters of sin and rebellion are in your life. If you would trust and believe in Jesus Christ and cry out to him, save me, Lord. God will save you. That's the promise of the gospel. If you would believe and trust in Jesus Christ with your life. You have eternal life because of what Christ did on the cross. On the cross, he dealt with the sin of rebellion and idolatry and disobedience. He paid the full price. He took the wrath that we deserve so that we could have life. Emmanuel, Jesus, save me. Save me from the world. Save me from the devil. Save me from my fallen self. Save me. Oh, Emmanuel. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we, we thank You. We thank You for the Gospel, the good news, that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in christ jesus our lord in our emmanuel father we pray that you will help us that you will help us to trust in your your fountain of living water and not go chasing after what we think in our our sinful understanding, our deeper and stronger and better rivers. Oh, Lord, help us to trust in the living waters of your Son, Jesus Christ, the living water to the power of your Holy Spirit in you who is the giver of life. Father, we pray that you'll continue to remove all idols from our hearts and our minds, from our thoughts, our actions and our desires. Father, we pray that you would help us to to hunger and thirst and desire you more than anything else. For you are our life.